Welcome to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio, bringing you insights and strategies to help you create a magnificent and fulfilling second half of life. Here's your host, certified professional retirement coach and best-selling author, Dr. Dorian Mincer. This is the fourth Tuesday Expert Speaker Series. It's Revolutionize Your Retirement, interviews with experts to help you create a fulfilling second half of life. And I'm delighted that everybody's on the call. I'm Dory Mincer, and I'm the uh, president and owner of uh, Revolutionized Retirement. I'm a life and retirement transition coach, relationship coach, writer, speaker, and teacher. Today, our speaker is going to be Carlene McKay, and the topic is Boomer Work in the 21st Century. Carlene is a workforce expert and an author who's going to discuss how the notion of work has changed and how to adapt your expectations for the 21st century. So let me tell you a little bit more about today's call. Some of this you might have already read, but the 21st century world of work is as unlike the 20th century world of work as the modern drone is the horse and buggy of great-grandfather's day. This is all from Carlene. If you coach clients in career or life planning, if you're a psychologist or a sociologist working with people, or if you're really thinking about your own life and your own job situation, then you're at the right place right now. Hard facts underscore the presentation and make the case that the way we're working and will work has forever structurally changed. You're going to get some ideas today of how to incorporate some of these things into both your work and or your life. And I think we'll be learning about some new resources and knowledge of some of the changes that all of us in the boomer and beyond uh, population are encountering in this 21st century. So Carlene, national workforce expert, and her particular emphasis on boomers, she's co-authored or authored four books on the subject, and she also is one of the contributing authors to the Life Planning Network's new book, Live Smart After 50. Carlene's been a national keynoter in multiple media, as well as Director of Mature Workforce Initiatives for Career Partners International, the talent management company with the largest global footprint. And she's also served as product service developer for nationwide clients from New York to Hawaii. So, Carlene, let me, let me turn it over to you. And let me also mention that on the event page, people will have access to Carlene's slides. And there was also an article that's available there that hopefully many of you have read ahead of time. We sent it out. We just got it from Carlene yesterday and made it available to people. Carlene, can you tell us about working in Wonderland? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Dory, I hope so. I, I, I think I live in Wonderland, and I certainly <laughs> relate to Lewis Carroll. One of my favorite authors, by the way, Lewis Carroll would have been 150 years old this month, and I knew him when I was young, so now you get an idea of how old I am, just how old I am. I hope you're on your slideshows by now because it's much more fun to watch with the pictures 
than it is simply to listen to me to drone on and on. If you're on the slideshow, the first slide you'll see is the Red Queen, who most recently was played by Helen Bonham Carter. Helena or Helen Bonham Carter, not quite sure. I loved her in it. And I think what I like best about Lewis Carroll and about Helen Bonham Carter and Johnny Depp and so forth is that they are so quirky. It's wonderful to look at them and to imagine and think about how people look at things in many different ways. And in this case, the first slide talks about the queen having believed as many as six things before breakfast. I thought that was particularly appropriate to where we stand in our history right now, our history of work. Sometimes we believe one thing and sometimes we believe another, and then we hear this and hear that and study this and study that, and in the meantime, many of us are thoroughly confused. I doubt that's true for all of you on this but I can tell you for certain that as I go across the nation, it's true of most people that I speak with. They're waiting for someone else to come up with some answers. The premise of the call today is really that work, not jobs, will dominate the U.S. in the 21st, work in all its iterations. You may or may not believe that because all you hear are jobs, but I think that you're going to see at least some hints today in the amount of time that we have that will say study this further and see what you end up believing. As Dory said, I'm Carleen McKay. I believe that leading people out of the 20th century into the 21st century will take all of us. But most importantly, I believe in what I'm excited about. This is what we can do. We don't have to wait for somebody else to do this to us. This is within the scope of what we are capable of doing. So here's the story of Alice for the one or two who may not know it. She was a bored, stiff, imaginative girl who didn't fit. She saw a bunny and followed him and fell down a rabbit hole or slipped through a looking glass. And she found herself in an upside-down world in which she had to discover untapped courage and find her true self. I think that's such a perfect metaphor for where we are today. It's why I chose this because this is a different world. And I want to take you through briefly. And, of course, Dory, interrupt when you have questions or if questions come in. I'm happy to talk about a number of questions. So we should be on slide two. Sorry, Donna, I should be coaching you as to which slide we're at. Slide two is the metaphor. We're in Wonderland now. There are dragons in America today. The Jabberwocky, if you would which was a dragon in Lewis Carroll's time. And the dragons are this, is that we fail to recognize the future that's unlike the past. And let me just historically point the big shifts in time. You'll know these, but people you work with or people you advise, they do not. They don't see it. For example, when we were formed as a nation, we were an agricultural nation. People worked from morning till night and dropped dead in the fields, practically, if not factually. They died in their 40s. Life was short. Life was hard. There were few extras in life of any sort. It truly was dig and eat and die young. We shifted into the industrial age at a time that really shifted everything, not something, everything. And that happened with the invention of all the different machinery and so forth. And in particular, the big shift came with the invention of the automobile. 
And you can see the history of Detroit. You can see the history of the industrial age, for better and for worse, in just tracking the history of the automobile. But what happened then is we moved from the farm, we moved into the factories, and increasingly we worked for someone else doing specific work in specific amount of times for a specific number of years. What really added to the industrial age, of course, happened to be World War One, and then subsequently World War Two. Think Rosie the Riveter. Think of all the things that shifted in terms of how we work, who worked, when we worked, when women came into the workforce was during the last part of the industrial age. And then the shift again into the knowledge age. The most important thing I can say about the knowledge age, this is really when I started getting it, when I started getting that jobs were on the way out. And there were two authors I want to mention both just because I'm so attracted to how they write and how they think. One way back when was Charles Handy with The Age of Unreason. Love that. I read it from Raleigh to Atlanta, one hour. It's an easy read. I think you can still get it. And it said we're going to work differently. That was in the late 1980s. But even before that, there was a book, I don't know when it was written, but it was written about the 70s. It was How We Got Here, the 70s by David Frum, pivotal in seeing the shift. The shift happened in the 70s, not in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, not because of Bain or any other thing that's happening now. It happened in the 70s. That's when we went overseas. That's when jobs were outsourced. And I have stories about that are just fabulous. Had we the time to tell the stories, I know you'd find them riveting about when we first went to India, when we first went to other countries and started offshoring practically everything we could get our hands on. So much so that today, no products or very few products are made in a single country. It is a global economy, but we've shifted again. That's the exciting part, the threat and the opportunity all in one page. And the fact is, it strikes me we are now in the techno-cyber information age. And I'm going to tell you some of the effects of that age on what we call work here in just a minute or two. So who's the jabberwocky? Who's the threat? Where is the threat? The threat is the dragon that claims the past is the predictor of the future. It is not. It is not the predictor of the future. The future is as unlike the past as I mentioned the drone was to grandpa's horse and buggy. The past is not a predictor of the future in terms of the subject of work. It may be in other areas, but not on our subject today. But it does mean <laughs> that at least they're going to think about the fact that the change is so dramatic that trying to look for help is really not where you find it. It's not where it's to be found. We follow the idea of the trail of Alice and the Jabberwocky. She had six steps to slay the Jabberwocky. And, in fact, you'll vaguely see the six steps of this, of doing away with the Jabberwocky. So we're going to look at six steps for doing away with seeing the world as it was. And the first step is seeing the world as it is and not as you are. I know that people on this call, the 50, 60 people, whatever number it is, live in different parts of the U.S. and see the world from a perspective of where they are. No matter how much you study, that's where you live. And so you see it. I have to say I had a great advantage. I've lived and worked around the world 
still doing work with Japan. Hawaii, which is my very favorite, is the gateway to Japan. I've worked in Mexico, worked in Puerto Rico, and paid attention very much to the world as opposed to the place I happen to be planted in for the moment. So that's where I want you to start. We're going to dispel the world as it is and see the world as it is, pardon me, and not as you are. So I'll talk about that in a minute or two. Step two, I want you to take your imagination and let it loose. And we'll build a best and worst case scenario for the future. And liberally stolen, I might add, from Mark Friedman and his book, which I'll tell you more about in a minute again. I love the idea of first seeing the worst and the threat and then seeing the opportunity. And the opportunity comes in the scenario building. It truly made me so excited when I started thinking about what could be as opposed to what will be. And then I want you to think about in your own slaying of the Jabberwocky of the past is to make sure you're ready to learn what you must ultimately teach, whether you're teaching in the career world, in life planning, your children or your grandchildren, you have to know first. And so discovery comes when you're ready to learn what you must teach. And then and only then do you educate. And regardless of your line of work, education comes from knowledge. It doesn't come from sitting there spouting platitudes that you've read on the latest Internet bulletin. It really comes from getting back and digging deep, dispelling the past, imagining the future, discovering what you need to learn, and then educating. But you can't go there if you don't start at the beginning, as I've just described. In part two, which I hope you'll invite me to do one of these days, we're going to talk about what that future looks like more, what the chains are, and how 20 minutes a day can keep the Jabberwocky away. It's really fun. It's it's learning from the future. It's probably the most exciting thing I've done. And then, of course, step six always is standing your ground in the face of skeptics, just as Alice did. It's the only way to slay the fearful dragons. I've been doing this for mm, six years. And in the beginning, nobody listened. And gradually, one or two did, and three or four. And now we're probably getting half the crowd saying, yeah, that's worth thinking about. And a quarter of the crowd might be saying, you're right. And it's really wonderful to get to that point, but it's been a painful journey. And you will have that journey to take as well. One of the most important things is to dispel some of the myths or the things that you once thought were true. Now we're coming up on our season for choosing our next president. And you're going to hear rhetoric and ugliness between the parties. And some of what they will do is they'll promise you something. They'll promise you jobs. And I'm going to tell you now, no political party can promise you or your client a job. This is not a political statement, but a statement of fact. The world has changed. The market has changed. New jobs and new work opportunities have emerged, and others have been relegated to the past. And why? Because this is a new time. And as far as the boomers are concerned, unless they, the rest of us, continue to learn in alignment with the aforementioned changes, the world, the market, 
the jobs and new ways to work, they won't work. It is that serious. I promise you that they can work, but only if they do certain things. Let me just pick a few of these because in the interest of time, I don't want to go over and I want to leave some time for Dory to pass along a few questions and to ask a few of her own. I think one of the critical issues that I've learned through study over the past years is that no organization, no, none, nada, no no one, no organization will hire people full-time if they're not needed full-time. I've studied the Wall Street Journey, McKinsey, Kaufman, other trackers of data. They all confirm one fact, not a statistic, a fact. There are 4 million more part-time workers today than 10 years ago. Not two years ago, not four years ago, than 10 years ago. This is structural. It is just a different time. Up to a third of these workers are not working, of all workers are not working traditionally today. Up to a third of all workers are not working traditionally today. And by 2020, it is estimated that half will not be traditional workers in regular full-time jobs. You've seen it. You've seen it happen. You've seen tenure shortened down to two and three years in regular full jobs in the private sector. That's a gig, gang. That's still not jobs as people used to look for them. For example, I do some work with Kelly Services, as Dory mentioned. They're experiencing a 20 to 25 increase annually in temporary and part-time workers, professional workers, highly skilled workers like us. They place doctors and lawyers and everything you can name. Remember, they started as Kelly Girl. That's long gone, just as it is for other folks in this niche, if you would. In fact, I can't not mention Workforce 50 and Jean Bernard, who's a longtime friend of many of ours on the call, and he would confirm this. It's a different time. And by the way, there are a million and a half open job jobs that can't be filled, and there's more to discuss about that than I'll go into today. But it's because the skills, the education, the preparation isn't there. We haven't done it. Mature workers are particularly at risk for not finding new jobs, particularly at risk, just as some of our college grads who've taken degrees that aren't aligned with marketplace needs. So I think it's really important to think, how are they going to work? Of the people working in new ways, it's estimated that most are doing more than one thing. You might call it portfolio work if you were in my line of business, and that's needs its own description of doing more than one thing. I'll give you an illustration. My portfolio, for example, is part is for long-term gain, and that's the learning piece of the portfolio. I think of learning as work. Learning isn't something I do some of the time. It's something I do all of the time, and it's for long-term gain. The other part of the portfolio is the work that I do in developing products and services for others. That's for pay. And finally, the third is what I do for free because it's part of an obligation I feel to our society, to our children and our grandchildren. So the portfolio is a balance between work for gain, work for future gain, and work for the common good, which makes me feel really great. I have fun, make a little money, and do some good. What could be better? If you look at 
all the different things that I've listed on this. I can go through so many of them. Let me just highlight a couple and not go into such length as I have about organizations not hiring people full-time. Public sector organizations can't ignore pension debt any longer. It's got to be over. We underfunded pension standard over $1 trillion right now today in the U.S. $1 trillion with T. Cities are going bankrupt throughout the U.S., not just California, where we bought San Bernardino and Stockton and Vallejo, but Jefferson County in Alabama, go figure, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And if you look on the Internet, there are up to 100 additional cities who are on the verge of bankruptcy, in large part, to underfunded pensions and, of course, overspending in other areas and economic shifts. Can this mean, think about this, if you're working with public sectors, will their pensions be amended? Is it inevitable? Should they be planning now to think about how else they might take care of themselves, particularly if they're on the younger side of the boomer equation? You could look at no large company is safer than any smaller company. It's interesting. Cisco just today laid off again another 1,000 or 2,000 employees. But what's really interesting, when I looked at Merck and Cisco and Lockheed Martin and Delta Airlines and a few others, what I saw was, yes, they're laying off jobbers, but they are hiring part-time subject matter experts. Isn't that interesting? And just-in-time help. Where's the opportunity? Yes, you can say, oh, we need this, we need that, we need the other thing. We need to work. There's no end in sight for the economic unrest. You know that. You've been studying Greece and Spain. And all of that has an impact on how we work. Exports and imports are affected by what we can do with European Asian nations and others. No, we're not as competitive as we need to be. No, invention's not a birthright. There's so much to study, so much to study. Do you know that Chinese and Indians now run a third of Silicon Valley firms? But don't let me stay just in Silicon Valley, where I spend most of my time these days. A quarter of U.S. science and technology firms nationwide founded in the past 10 years, have a CEO or chief technologist who is foreign-born. They've generated billions in revenue. They have half a million workers between them. They've founded 52% of the startups in the last 10 years. They're more educated than most Americans. 74% of these leaders have postgraduate degrees, and 75% of those degrees are in science, technology, engineering, and math. Ask me how I know all this. I have a trivial mind. I know. But the fact is, the bottom line fact is that a lot of those jobs are not being done here. They reach out to other countries to do the work. That's why we have so many jobs going begging here. But it can be argued factually that while we're falling behind by the minute, there is an advantage here for boomers if they and you are ready. You can help them to prepare they won't work in any capacity if they don't come to understand the new world of work and the multiplicity of ways beyond jobs there are to find new paths. They've got to keep up just as you do, or they're unlikely to be marketable in any capacity. So if you're a life coach or a career coach and on the phone today or a psychologist or a sociologist, you've got to have people coming to you and asking for the same trite 
preparation of traditional job-centered resumes for jobs that no longer exist, for God's sakes. But they think, I just need one. But no, there are other ways, and it's important. And in your focus on helping others and advising them, whether it's your children or your clients, you better know what the other ways are. I think it's extremely important. I need to take a breath, Dory. Do you have any questions so far? People are not sending questions other than Gene, who's on the phone, says, thank you, Carlene, for the unexpected mention of him, Gene Bernard. What you're saying is just very powerful, and it it can be very overwhelming at the same time, too. And I was just wondering, can you, let's assume that there's some people on the call who aren't the professionals. So what what should some people think about doing to do it differently, as you were just saying, to be able to maximize who they are and their skills in the 21st century? Do you have any suggestions that you could give the person who goes in to see the coach or the career planner to think about even ahead of time? Sure, I do. And and, uh, I'm going to take you to strategy in a few minutes. But Basically, oh, okay. the real key, do you, do you remember, Dory, when we used to say almost exclusively, find your purpose, your passion, and go after it? There is an amendment to that. That's still important. Please don't take that as my saying it's unimportant. But a passion or a purpose not linked to marketplace need is wishful thinking. So you have to add the step. You've got to study the marketplace, the changing market. It's all at your fingertips. But you've got to study it. You can't assume that because what you did at one time worked for you then, that it will work for you now. So I think the real bottom line key to that is take your passion and your purpose by all means, but study the market and make sure that you have alignment between it. And then you have a reasonable chance of following the strategy that will get you to where you're going. How's that? Does that help? That helps, I think. Yep. There's no other questions yet other than the YouTube link was taken off and just know that it will get put back up in the event section. I don't really know what happened with that, but it it will go back up for people to copy. You I'm don't almost, have to, you don't even have to have the link. You can go just Google Alice in Wonderland slaying the Jabberwocky, you'll find it. Oh, okay, great. All right. That's how you can find it. It's interesting. I'm assuming there are no questions because they all agree. How's that? (laughs) That could be. If you want to talk, what what I'm tempted to do is unmute. I wasn't planning to, but since people aren't coming for questions, I could unmute and just see if there's, I'll put people on the spot a little bit and see if there's some questions that people would like to just ask to you right now. How do you feel about my doing that? Oh, no, I love it. I, I love live okay. conversations, and okay. certainly they have things to add, not just ask. Okay. It, it, again, it wasn't my plan because I wanted to have this be you talking and people would and have comments or questions, but it's, since it's not happening, hold on one second and let me just unmute for right now. Oh, wait. We do have a question from Elizabeth Craig. She says, hi, Carlene. I love your focus. Work, not jobs, will dominate the workforce in the 21st century. What are the top three ways you assist your clients in thinking this new way versus focus on a job? That's a good question. Thank you, Elizabeth. Good question. Elizabeth, thank you, and hello. First of all, the education portion is, I'm sorry, this is going to sound like I'm touting my new book, and in a sense I am. I wrote a 300-page book that's going to come out that talks about these changes in more depth, 
and then where the opportunities are going to be. And then I give them a series of about 36 ways that people look at work and let them choose the top three ways for them. So, for example, you might have somebody who has a retirement pension, if there's any of those left. Um, They're at 16% of the private sector and the public sector so far. They might want to do something that's more in line with the encore careers that Mark Friedman writes about all the time. Um, And the fact is, I can't tell them the time. I can tell them the top 36 and help them to choose the ones that intrigue them and then show them the plan to get from here to there. I hope that answers it. Mm -hmm. Great. Let me see if there are any more questions. Okay. Doug actually said he prefers that you just continue with the presentation, Doug Dixon, that questions will come as you talk more. I'm going to respect that. I'm okay. Back up to you then. So. All right. I think it's yep. important. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go oh, ahead. Sorry. You were... I think that where we ended here was to dispel the past and the myths and take a look at the facts of what's happening and how people are hiring or not hiring, look at where the opportunities are, look at the economic unrest and relate it to the world of work. It will help you to at least get step one under your belt. Step two, the part that I like the best, of course, is to imagine. And I love this saying from Alice in Wonderland. It's a poor sort of memory that only works backwards. I think it's important to understand that how you deal with the future is to learn from the future. Now, that probably confuses one or two people on the call. But the fact is, most of it is being researched. Most of it's published. Doug has published it. Elizabeth is involved with that. People have written books on this. Um, Bold New World comes to mind from some period in the recent past. All, all sorts of books. Dan Pink's work and so forth talks about what the changes are. Start studying. But now we're on slide six, which is imagine. This is the part where I have to tell you, I was so thrilled to be part of a discussion with Civic Ventures, now the Encore group, and to think about how can we take what looks like terrible threats and make them into best opportunities. And one way is scenario building. And so if you look at it, why do we need to build scenarios? First of all, relatively recent studies state that 56% of current retirees still have outstanding debts. I don't know. Are these numbers accurate? I don't care. It doesn't matter. They're reminders of challenges that must be overcome. We certainly see it. We know that a lot of people are not, no more prepared to not work than they are prepared to fly on their own. I don't know. That's a poor analogy. But the fact is we are a debt-ridden nation. Most of us have to work in some capacity for some money. The other thing that I was very worried about on the threat side is that three out of four Americans are claiming Social Security benefits at their earliest eligibility. And that worked real well when we didn't live as long as we do today. And how serious is it? It's pretty serious because Social Security, for a variety of reasons, the fact that it's been tapped into to use for other things, the fact that disability, Social Security disability benefits are under siege, and the fact that so many people are counting only on Social Security, trying to live 25 or 30% of their lifetime is just unrealistic. So let's look at the scenarios. 
the worst case scenario by 2030, which is when the last of the boomers turns 65, by the way, the coffers are empty. Social Security benefit coffers are empty by 2030. There'll be some of the fit boomers, um, hopefully some on this call, who have boast that 80 is the new 60. But the rest of the country has gotten sick of footing the bill for their retirement. They want them off the stage, just as we at one time wanted the traditionalists off the stage. And by the way, I wonder if you knew, just a little aside, that early retirement programs and companies were instituted to get rid of the traditionalists. Don't think of it as all altruistic. It was to make room for the large generation of boomers. When you think about how many people by 2030 in America will be over 60, it's one in four. One in four. Walkers outnumber strollers. Nursing homes proliferate and schools close. Young people are trying to take care of the elderly and their own children. And all the, as Mark put it, greedy geezers (laughs) spending one-third of their lives subsidized by the rest of Americans. This is the ugly scenario. Remember the worst case scenario. The fact of the matter is pensions, health care have replaced almost all our investment in our nation's future. The children, education, the environment, and the economy will suffer from those lost opportunities. We'll be past our prime. I don't like that scenario, and even though it's unlikely I'll be here for that particular date, I'm here on the front end, and there's something I can do, and there's something you can do. Think of the best-case scenario. What if, while the boomers are still starting to leave this stage, but the legacy they leave is far different? What if all those crazy predictions by economists and policy experts who attempt to tell us what our lives are be are replaced by what we do, by what we do. Think of what we can do with longer lifetime. We can work longer. We can work for a fee, for free, for the common good, in a job, just in time, any number of things that we can do. And if we do that, if we help younger generations to learn, if we continue to learn, it's going to mean that we will continue to contribute to the society that we're taking from. I think on the positive scenario, just as others think, that we can make work a virtue. How about that? Really a virtue, not just something we do for money, but something we do for all the reasons that I've mentioned. Think about your own scenarios. I don't want you to take mine as the final anything. It's just a scenario building. But it tells me that it's within my grasp and yours to determine the future of America through our work with the boomers. Not government, not educators, not all the naysayers. Us. This is something we actually have control over. So let's look at slide seven. And you asked me earlier... What are the top three? There's no top three. I think you need to know the two, three dozen market-driven alternatives to jobs. 
for example, some are particularly and especially hot for boomers. You may not know that the most successful entrepreneurs are the boomers, the people who made their mistakes young and learned from them, you might say. The most successful people starting small businesses are boomers, entrepreneurs or otherwise. And what we have to do is to teach the multiple strategies, not tell them where to go, but teach them the strategies, which tools to use. Oh, my God, I hope we can get rid of that resume. In fact, on an aside from a few friends on the phone, no, I've never had one. And it was purposeful. I think they're the best screening out tool ever invented. And there are much better ways to present information to somebody who you want to do some business with. But you need to be able to touch the teach the strategies, which tools, where to find the opportunities, and how to overcome the gaps in knowledge and skills and myths and biases about age. I wrote the myth cards some years ago. They're fun. And I use them with coaches to help people deal with the fact that there are plenty of biases and myths about older workers, most of which can be counteracted very simply once you know the truth. Remember, truth and facts, not statistics. One thing I believe you need to know how to do or need to know how to teach to do is a SWOT analysis. If you had a business, you would never run a business without doing one. But you run your career without doing one. You keep looking for jobs or where's the next opportunity as opposed to specifically looking at the opportunities and threats in the market. Remember what I said earlier? It's a market-driven world. Have your passion. Have your interest but align them or don't work. So you look at the opportunities and threats in the marketplace in terms of the world of work. You look at your strengths and weaknesses, and you create from a SWOT analysis your gaps. And it's the gaps that need to be filled in where the coaches become important, more important than telling people where to look for their next opportunities. It's the gaps. Let them tell you, but then show them what they need to fill in, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. And I'll give you a couple of points here, and I will ask you, if you have ideas for us, please don't think of me as just a talking head. Please share them. Because I get all my information from people like you, from Doug, from Jean, from Elizabeth, and from others who may be on this call. I think one of my friends who's in the FriendNet world, the franchise world, is on this call. And, for example, I gave a keynote at FriendNet recently, and we talked about the opportunities in franchising. They're enormous. Before the people run out of money, let them look at the options that they have in franchise businesses, and you'll see new things. Great tutoring franchises, for instance. Many things that have to do with aging nation are the best opportunities for the boomers themselves. And just summarize for today and give you some leads as to where to go to take this information deeper. Remember, it's strategy, not tactics that counts. In other words, a resume is a tactical thing. A strategy is figuring out how to get from here to there. Facts, not statistics. I don't care about statistics like unemployment statistics. They're only like this. If you look at unemployment statistics, for example, you can look at U1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and you'll get a different picture in each one. Look at U6 if you're going to look at any, and you'll see what the real numbers are closer to. 
facts, not statistics. Go out there and interview people that you're working with for what's happening in their markets. That's more important than watching a slide on a graph. I'll give you an example of some of the things that I've done and hopefully you will add to. Please understand, I'm not trying to dominate the educational portion. I'm trying to give you the same help that I've looked for. Recently, I recently, six, eight months ago, I took my car in for its 50,000-mile checkup. And as I was leaving, they said, fine, hi, nice seeing you again, and that'll be $1,100. And so I gave them the $1,100. And as I was driving off between the service station and home, which is less than three miles, I went, isn't it funny? I didn't even wince. Didn't wince at $1,100 for the checkup for my car. Would I spend that on me? Does anybody spend that on themselves? I'm not talking about organizations, just in transition. So I came up with the mid-career checkup list. It's on my Ages in America site. It's free. And that was just the way of looking at what do I need to ask myself at this midpoint? I was well past midpoint, but let's not define it by chronological age. And since then, Career Partners has developed a workshop for a mid-career checkup. They call it GPS, Career GPS. I think it's a fabulous idea. It says before you're in trouble, before you're let go because you haven't kept up, let's do a series of checkups and make sure that organizations, the market, and you are aligned. And if you want to take that plan a little deeper, you can certainly go to Ages in America. Every day I read that, that boomers plan to work later in life. They don't plan at all. They hope. I hate the word hope. I like the word plan. I like the word work. I don't like the word jobs. I like words that really define what we should be doing. And for a plan, there's a free ebook, Plan B for Boomers. And by the way, in the new resources in the Live Smart After 50, which is a new LPN book that's coming out in September, you will see strategy there as well. Work coming out, I hope, in December 2012, but I'm going to tell you, uh, trying to get Kelly, career partners, and everybody, all the wisdom of experts who are contributing to the book is like herding cats. And for those of you who might have worked on the LPN book, you know exactly what I mean. But I'm looking for resources. I'm looking for your resources. I want you to share them. Just as Dory shared her couple's retirement puzzle, just as others have shared their work, what are you doing to educate us? And can we find a way, Dory, this is a question for you, not a question for me. Can we find a way to start compiling together resources for those of us who care about the emerging work, not the past, the 21st century, that we can share? I'll leave that to you to think about for a minute. I'm going to just put the last picture up, or Donna, if you would, just to look at it, and then let's talk a few questions we have Five or ten minutes, I think that's all. So far, there still aren't a lot of questions, but Carrie has just commented that she always loves hearing you and loves your comment, learning from the future. And I think you've been elaborating on it as you've been talking just recently in terms of the strategies and all, but can you elaborate maybe a little bit more on that right now? Sure. I, I, think, said that's part I think two, and we'll 
Yeah, but yes, you can elaborate on it. Look, you can see, let's say you're interested in new medical products. I happen to be particularly interested in that. Somebody's going to give me a new knee soon. Instead of just saying, send me to a doctor and let's get a new knee, I had to look and say, which doctor, when, where, what can they do, what can they not do, what are the best outcomes, which doctors do best at this. That's how you study from the future. And you look at everything. You study what's coming. I study some of the technology reviews from, say, MIT, because I'm very interested in technology. I don't know want to know how to do it. I just want to be able to use it. And so we're doing some cloud work now in some of the organizations I belong to. It's really fun, and it's all future. It's only the beginning. It's the kernel of what will be. But that's how you learn, is you play in the future, make your mistakes, and continue to learn. Now, in the medical field, the big advances are going to be in certain areas of cardiology. They're already coming in stem cell research and other things. Whether you agree with it or not isn't important, but chase it if that's an interest area of yours. Healthcare, for example, for the aging nation, what's going on there is amazing, and some of it's going on in the franchise world that I previously mentioned. Care, people staying in their homes, Really important. Another big trend for the future, we are going to have to be more careful how we spend. Look at the consignment stores. Look at consignment buying. Look at online buying. See how that fits with something you might have to offer or be interested in. I don't know. Does that help? (laughs) I think that's great responses. And I think also what you were saying before, even though it's the worst case scenario, that by thinking ahead to what's going to be happening with one in four Americans in 2030 being over 65 and and older, it really speaks to how this whole field of gerontology and the issues that we all are going to be facing as we're older, that's such an open area for people to tap into. But I have another question here from Doug, who asks, and, and again, I think you've been doing it, but can you just hone in a little bit more about how strategies differ in finding work versus finding jobs? First of all, the strategy starts always internally as we've done in the past. Who am I? And being able to explain yourself in a real way. You need to know who you are. You need to know what you're good at. For example, some people are very good at persuading and extroversion and different things. like Know all those things about yourself. Then you look at the market. What's available? What's coming? Where are the jobs actually right now? Interesting. Go to the job boards and look at what they're advertising. And you will see not only jobs, but where opportunities lie for part-time, some of the time work, and so forth. Another place, gosh, I think I've gotten off track because I was thinking about something else. The nonprofits are fabulous areas to go. What was the question, Dory? The question <laughs> was just different strategies. Yeah, but I, but that's another area that I'd love you to elaborate on in a minute. But the, But the specific question was, could you talk about how the strategies differ in finding work versus finding jobs? It's the 20th versus the 21st century. Yeah, the strategies in finding work are really eight steps. You look at the ones that I have listed on my strategic planning process or the SWOT analysis. It's instead of looking at you, you look at where the market is leading us. You look at absolutely all the ways there are to to peel that onion. In other words, 
if somebody said, Carlene, do you want a job as a career coach? Do you think that in my mid-70s that's realistic? So part of it's a reality check, isn't it? Where am I? What are the realities? What are the realities of my time, my effort, my energy? And what are the realities of the marketplace? How else can I peel the onion is the real bottom line strategic question. That's the SWOT analysis. You find that out by what isn't available rather than by what is first. So the person who's working with the career or life coach who's been just spinning their wheels, sending resume after resume, there's the first lesson. Maybe that one job isn't there. Now you explore all the ways and come down to the two or three that make sense for you. Perfect example of the portfolio. I think portfolio careers are the way to go. I think they absolutely have something in it for everyone. And if you think about portfolios as a step maybe to a job at some point, then that learning piece I mentioned is the method to get there. So it's a convoluted way of saying it, but the strategy is not tactical. It's not resume and a hope and a job board. The strategy is looking at yourself and the market and studying the changes that you see every day on the Internet. I spend 20 minutes a day, every day, seven days a week, researching. That's all. And what I learn in 20 minutes a day, seven days a week, is astonishing. It's at your fingertips. That's such a good model for all of us. Now we're starting to get more questions, but could you elaborate a little bit also on, and you just started to say something about it, the sector differences, public versus private, in terms of the job situation? We really live in two different worlds. And for a long time, the twain has not really met. The private sector has been experiencing for a long while high turnover, shorter-term jobs, big change. In the private sector, you could be doing the best job in the company and get laid off in a nanosecond, and we did. In the public sector, until more recently, if you were relatively safe, you'd start to work. Now, having said that, there are many interesting jobs in the public sector, but equally in the public sector, there are many jobs that are no longer necessary. Let me give you an example. Do we need, what is it, 37,000 post offices? Do we need that many? Do we need some? How many? What do you do with a postal employee whose entire work experience has been that? What you have to do, that mid-career checkup, that studying of the market has to be ongoing. It is really lifelong learning. And by the way, it's not just about money, why people continue to work. People coming out with pensions that may be solid today and probably will be solid tomorrow still need to work for other reasons. The time to look and to plan is not when it's needed but before. And the public sector is undergoing huge change, huge change. The highlights always come with getting go of police officers and firefighters and educators. But that's not what's really going on. There are plenty of people leaving and plenty of part-time 
opportunities in the public sector, fewer full-time for the moment. The educational sector, Dory, if there's any sector you know about better than I, can you see the day, can you really see the day when for many people, four-year college is part of the past? Mm -hmm. I think that whole area is changing. Yep, I do. I, I think that people are talking more and more that unless people are going to school for particular medical or lawyer or something like that, that the whole notion about college is changing and probably needs to change. Yes. And what does that mean to the jobs of people who've had tenured positions Mm. and so forth? We'll see, but start studying it. If that's your line of work, start studying what the changes. For example, MIT is doing some of the most exciting work for engineers, scientists, and technologists. Study it. That's your stomping grounds, not mine. But they're abroad. They have a huge school in Singapore. They have online studies now they never had. It is going to be radically different within three to five years. If you're in education, you need to study it now. Start now. That's crucial, which ties into a couple more of the questions. I realize we're just about at the end of time, but it's in a way, how how do we shake up the boomers a little bit more? There's been a question from Peggy, another one from Doug. Peggy asks, what's a way to try to help boomers to cut back on spending so that because working and spending mentality seems to be hard to break? And Doug, in a question not totally related, but is how do we spread the work message so that boomers and others can really begin to think differently and in less limited ways about moving beyond jobs? And I think you're describing the changes that are happening, and we all have to, but how do we help people do that? I think, first of all, we've got to be on every stage they'll invite us to. We really do, because people have to hear a message five to seven times before they start seeing how it relates to them. One, we've got to get the message out through our different groups that we belong to, your groups, different, all of the different groups. It's not just about the booms, it's about the changes in how America is going to, right. yeah. to work, period. But we need the stage, because it's only the fifth or sixth time that you say something to someone that they come away and say, you know what? I have to change. It just doesn't happen because you sit with them and they come in and say, help me, I need a job, I need it desperately. And you say, okay, what can I do for you? And they say, give me a resume and where's the job board and how do I use LinkedIn? If you don't educate them first, that's what you're going to get. And so that's the only advice I have. I did it for three years where nobody listened at all. By the fourth year, some did. And by now, many are. In fact, I'm doing some interesting work in Hawaii with some of the community colleges there who are working on some work with the governor of Hawaii. So all the sectors are starting to listen, but reacting, oh gosh, we've got a lot more work to do, Dory and Doug. No question about that. There was another question, but since we're at the end, I'm going to throw the question out just because Gary asked it. And then, Carlene, I want you to maybe decide if you want to elaborate on it or what you would like to leave as a takeaway message. But his question was, can you elaborate on some of the 30 different areas uh, where we can find or recommend to find work? I think you've been talking more about that. 
Oh, well, Gary, thank you for the question. Of course, that's what the book's about. It's 300 pages. <laughs> but it starts with angel investing for some who want to be angel investors, for others who want angel investments, to temporary work with wonderful contributions. Carl Camden, who's the CEO of Kelly Services, to let me see if I can give you just a quick snapshot on my list here somewhere. There's got to be a list that I'm not looking at so I can do this faster. Temporary work, part-time work, solopreneurship. I love solopreneurship. Bartering, ways to work through barter. All the ways that you can think of, possibly think of, there's going to be another 20. And that's in the book. And so if I'm not getting there, it's because I'm rifling through the laundry list of all the things that I wrote in the book and of course, it's not at my fingertips. Right, you? Yep, yep. I want exactly. to thank you. Do you want me to give you a so, quick list, and very fast, or are we over? Yeah. What? Well, no, you can go ahead. Some people may have had to get off, but that's fine. Can you give okay, a quick so list? associations, affiliations, boards of directors, brokers, coaches, consultants, creative artists, entrepreneurs, exporters and importers, fancy free and stress-free workers, franchisees, free agents, government and public sector workers, home business owners, legacy creators, mentors and advocates, and so forth and so on. I have 33 in the book. I'm sure there are more, and I'd love to hear from you. Great. I want to thank you so much. This has been terrific, Arlene. You're just a role model for all of us. And I think your differentiation of jobs and work and what people need and the difference between tactics and strategies is so key for people. And as you say, it's not just the boomer and beyond population. For It's the way our world is changing. That's right. And especially for a developed nation, so-called developed nation, we have different challenges than other nations, but we must meet them. Any other last? I think that was probably a, a good place to end, but any just last takeaway you'd like to have people have for this from today? I'd like their help. I'd like their help. I really would like that resource list to grow. And to be, if you've studied something about work, remember that's the only subject that I'm particularly interested in learning more about, so I'll be selfish, by all means share it, please. So let's take that task on, and I think your just example of spending like 20 minutes a day researching areas of interest is an important takeaway for all of us, that if we just hone in and study the trends and study what's happening, it will help each of us individually, as well as for those of us who work in this field, help us in our work of helping people really think about that difference between work and jobs, tactics, strategies, and where we're all moving together. Thank you very much, Tom. And thanks again, Carlene. Thank you, Dory. (laughs) Take care. You've been listening to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio with Dr. Dorian Mincer. To learn more about the resources mentioned on today's show, listen to past episodes, or download our free retirement transition guide, visit revolutionizeyourretirementradio.com.